We are in week three of this series. Isn't that a great series? Oh, man. When I Need a Miracle. We've noticed that in this series, we've been looking at some topics that are not as clean as we like them to be. They're kind of filled with tension, which it's good to know about these tensions. And we're hitting another one today that's when I need a miracle of protection, when I need a miracle of protection. I'm going to begin in an unstandard way today. I'm going to tell a lengthy personal story. It's really about my parents, uh, because I grew up learning some pretty remarkable protection stories, some amazing markers of protection in my parents' life. And so I want to set the rest of the message up, which is coming after this story. My dad and my mom both are now with the Lord, and my dad was born in L.A. He was born into a home that was very troubled. Um, In fact, shortly after he was born, his parents' marriage broke up. Both his parents struggled with alcohol. And I don't think he even put all the pieces together. I'm not sure that I have put the pieces together. I learned his story in pieces. So when I'm a teenager, I'm looking at this photograph of my dad when he was two, and I was struck by the fact that his two-year-old picture and my two-year-old picture look very, very similar. And uh, just talk about that. And then casually, he mentioned that it was at that time when I was about that age that my older sister, who was bit by a dog, died. The dog had rabies. And I hadn't put all of these thoughts together. I'm not sure I've got it all put together correctly, but I wondered if part of the alcoholism and the leaning towards alcohol uh, was a coping mechanism for both of my grandparents that I really never knew, um, that they just, their lives fell apart. My dad, um, his whole life upbringing wasn't all dark. His grandparents loved the Lord Jesus Christ. His grandparents brought him to church. He got very, very involved in University Avenue Christian Church. He, he grew up right in the heart of downtown LA. And in his teen years, my dad went to work to support his family. That's unusual for a teenager to add his income to the whole family's income to make it work. So his, his siblings had a lot of respect for him, uh, even to his dying day. Um, and, you know, he, he cared for his mom with his dollars. In their youth group, while he was a teenager, um, they used to go down to Watts and preach the gospel to children And that's a powerful ministry, and they really enjoyed serving together for the glory of God. Well, then World War II broke out, and uh, my dad was old enough to then sign up, along with a lot of his friends signing up at the same time. So a lot of the youth group vacated at that time when they were old enough to just go sign up. So the youth leader took them aside and said to them something like this, You are entering into the service and not everybody around you cares about what God thinks. In fact, most of them will not care about what God thinks. You're going to be faced with temptation every day. And you need to know that God is with you always. Stuck with my dad. So he gets shipped off to train to be a torpedo man. He wanted to be stationed in a submarine. And lo and behold, in a a training that's in another state, he meets up with a, a guy Uh, oh, I forgot his name, but I think it's Ernie. Ernie shows up, and he knew Ernie from his junior high days growing up in the same community. He says, 
Imagine this, we're in the same squadron learning to, do you think we'll be in the same sub? And Ernie, if that's his name, um, began, to, began to ask my dad to come out and join them for a night on the town with the rest of the guys. And my dad said something like, no, there's nothing good there for me. And just, here's something that, although he's trying to live out his faith, something that took place gradually over time in the service, his faith became less vocal his faith became less public. His faith became more hidden. Now, he wasn't proud of that. He talked about that. And there was something that takes place that began to change that. Um, about the time that they were going to be, you know, assigned, they had to go through a medical procedure. And the medical procedure went through a bunch of routines. One of the routines didn't turn out to be that routine for my dad. It was a a medical procedure to test your ear's ability to handle the pressure that you'd have to handle in going up and down in a sub. And as they were doing this pressure testing, something unusual happened to my dad. A pain began to build and build and build in one side and one ear, and even during the test, it began to bleed. And the, they stopped the test right away, and the doctor asked him, what's going on with that ear? What if, what's, do you, have you had an injury in that ear? And because the pain triggered a memory, he was able to quickly respond, yeah, that was the ear that as a child, a firecracker exploded too close to my ear, and I experienced a lot of pain in that ear. So the doctor said, I hate to do this to you, but there is no possible way you can be stationed in a submarine, which devastated my dad. I mean, all these guys he worked with and trained with, and now he's sent off to a ship to test torpedoes in an ocean that is not a combat zone. So he is totally taken out of where he thought he was going. Now, even in that setting, on a ship, he uh, had occasions where he was too close to a big gun, and the concussion started that ear problem again. He woke up one day, and his whole pillow was loaded with blood. And so they needed to ship him off to get him some medical attention. While he was getting that medical attention, he met a guy named Arky. Uh, his nickname was Arky because he came from Arkansas. He was a chaplain. And this Arkansas chaplain came every day and spoke with my dad and the others in the sick bay, wherever they were, and talked to them about Christ in the way that kind of awakened the dormant faith that had gone too silent in my dad. And he thought, I've got it. I used to be like that. I used to speak about Christ just that way. I've got to change how I am behaving. And so he made a determination he was going to change. While he was uh, in this recovery process, dealing with his ear, he was checking newspapers every day to keep up with sort of a, sort of a connectedness with what's happening in the war, to try to check out, see what's happening. And then suddenly, his eyes locked on a frame on the page, and his heart began to race. The line simply said, the name of the sub he was trying to be stationed on was missing in action. Every single buddy of his that he would trained with was dead. He sat and crumpled in the chair and asked the questions that we would perhaps ask, why me? Why am I the only one alive? Why not protect them? Why did you protect me? My dad continued to serve throughout the duration of the war, but something shifted inside of him where he needed to know why he was kept alive, that God had some sort of plan. Why me? As soon as he got out of the war, he signed up for Bible college. 
He enrolled to San Jose Bible College where he met my mother. And while they were dating, he borrowed a car to go on a date to Santa Cruz. And while driving to Santa, from San Jose to Santa Cruz to go to the beach and boardwalk, there was a washed out portion of the old road back then that they did not see coming. It was recently washed out and they didn't navigate it successfully and they tumbled down a ravine 150 feet. And they were both severely injured, blood all over the place. And then they thought, who's going to know we're here? A car stops, a guy gets out, helps them both. I'm not even sure how they managed it because my mom's back was broken. They got both of them into the vehicle, put my mom in the back seat, laying out on the back seat, drove them both to the hospital. The guy delivers them both to the hospital, and then they're in recovery, and then when they have their wits about them, they go to the uh, hospital personnel and say, who was it that saved us? Who brought us in? They had no record of them. And so in conversations, they're not married yet, they're having conversations together. My mom says to my dad, how did he see that we were there? How did he know that we were there? How did he get us out of there? And how come he never even came back to see how we're doing? And then my mom just said it out. I think that was an angel. Now, we can't prove that, whether that was an angel or not an angel. As far as I'm concerned, God sent somebody to save them. And so here's another episode with the both of them that they're preserved. My dad was still reeling with pain from guilt because he was... He was a survivor who was too silent about his faith. Will all of those buddies of his that did not survive the sub? He says, we're not the only ones hurting. He's been learning from Bible college all the teachings of Jesus and just being embedded into his heart. And so they had conversations together. And because Jesus said, love your enemies, they decided to be missionaries to Japan, the very enemies that probably were the perpetrators of the death of all his friends. Now, I never knew all of that until I was an adult. Because the dad I know never treated a Japanese like an enemy. The dad I know was so loved by the Japanese people because forgiveness is such a rarity in this world. And he loved them and forgave them. And he's an American wounded GI himself. And they loved each other. That's what I knew from my growing up memories. But it raises lots of questions, doesn't it? Why did God not protect my dad's older sister? Why did God not protect all the other people in the sub? Why did he choose to protect my dad right then and there? Why did he choose to protect my mom and my dad in that episode? And many, many other questions get raised. So we're talking today about an area that's hard to talk about, and we're going to begin with a verse that is hard for some people because they're mad at God because they want God to protect them, and they didn't experience protection. What about my son? What about my wife? What about my mom? What about, and they can name a whole bunch of different things. So let's start with this verse. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. We love to hang on to verses like this because that's what we need when there's big trouble and problems and we need protection. We turn to the God who is big. 
So I don't know where you're coming from or whether you're hurting today or whether this feels almost like a lie to you because God didn't protect you or God didn't protect somebody you loved. Um, Those tensions are real. I'm not trying to minimize those tensions. So would you just join me in prayer as we continue forward? Father God, we're asking that you would help us to understand how you love us, how you protect us, and where there is pain and we don't understand We don't understand what's taking place or why, that you would help us to have hearts that are still open to you rather than clinched. Help us to receive from you today and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our focus today reads this way. God is love and love always protects. Now I realize those are huge statements especially in the tension of what we just described. We just described that, well, what about this? He didn't always protect me then. What about that? He didn't protect me then. I'm going to start with, and I know that this is probably inadequate if you're feeling a lot of pain, but you can kind of get it. I'm, I was a child and didn't get a lot, and then I became a man. I got a little bit more. Now I'm a grandpa. I get everything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so... Imagine, and these are real scenarios that I'm not going to tell who's involved. Imagine the no more position as a parent and the no less position as a child. The small mind versus the larger mind. The small mind not able to figure out the bigger picture. The larger mind seeing the bigger picture, knowing what's necessary. Here's the scenario. Child falls gets a large wood splinter poking through the arm, and if you move the splinter, you can see it literally poking through the other side. You know that that wood has to be removed. The larger, more wise head understands that wood will, in fact, that whole splinter needs to be removed. The smaller mind says, Daddy, stop, stop, ah, don't, ah, stop, it hurts. Why isn't the dad protecting? That's the small mind's position. Meanwhile, the larger mind's position is, I am trying to protect you, right? We get that. So there's just a little picture of how that works, right? God's mind is much larger still, seeing a much greater picture that is eternal, that we can't put the pieces together even with our adult minds in many of these scenarios, and so we, not, we must start there with God's own declared truth that he is love. He's always love. Love emanates to all of us, no matter what position we're in. Love comes from God. And love always protects, even though in our small positions, it doesn't feel like protection. It feels like pain, okay? And so we just need to admit that, that both of these tensions are still there. Point number one, here's where we begin. Long before you face a problem, God already has a plan. Long before you face the problem, before it even hits you and you recognize it and it's there, God already has a plan. I could give you scripture story after scripture story after scripture story of this, but we're just going to highlight three. Two of them quickly and one a little bit more detail. The first one is Noah. God knew the problem. God knew the solution. God knew what was coming. He knew there was going to be a grand flood because the world was so evil, continuously evil all the time. There's complete rejection of God, and he was going to start over with a family group. So he tells Noah the plan, but he knows the problem and the answer long before anybody else can picture it or imagine it. Okay, set that one aside. 
Then there's Joseph. Now let's make sure we understand which Joseph. I'm not talking about Joseph, the uh, husband of Mary, the Virgin Mary. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Joseph, the son of Jacob, in the early history of Israel, before Israel is a nation. Okay? This Joseph uh, shot off his mouth about what God was going to do in his life. He saw in a dream. He was hated by his brothers. His brothers hate him so much with this sibling rivalry, jealousy, that they sell him off as a slave, and he becomes an Egyptian slave. Now, we could think, why didn't God protect me, right? Why didn't God protect me? But we need to understand the larger picture. This was a piece of God's plan. Are you kidding me? Even a piece of the plan where somebody's that evil, he uses that piece in his plan? I tell you, he's a master chess player. He knows how to get to the end game. He's going to win. He's going to make his plan work, okay? And now, Joseph is in Egypt. He's, you'll have to read a a lot of Genesis. We're going to just bypass it all. If Joseph didn't go through that, then his brothers wouldn't have been saved. His little clan wouldn't have been saved. They were all saved from a famine later because Joseph is in a position to save them all from a famine. Not only is that the situation, now they become a nation in Egypt, a nation of slaves that aren't a nation yet, and then God uses a plan to make them a nation and sets them free from their slavery. If that Joseph wasn't sold there. We wouldn't have the nation of Israel. We wouldn't have the Messiah introduced to the nation of Israel. We would ourselves not be protected in eternal salvation. That's how big a mind has put together the plan as it relates to the problem. Just hits here, but God fits all the pieces together that's bigger than what we can possibly see or imagine how they connect. Okay? So that's just a a little piece. Now let's just jump into one that's a little bit easier to get a hold of with more detail. Acts chapter 16. In the first session together, we talked about miracle of deliverance and we talked about there is really angels and there's really demons. That's really what I believe. If you're not into that, you might want to check out that video to see why would this crazy guy believe that. We'll get into some of that. Okay? This chapter actually begins with a miracle of deliverance where God saves a woman from the demons that are giving her the channeling ability to predict things for other people. Okay? And once he saves her, the people that were manipulating her for their own income are cut off from their bread and butter income. And they're mad. And here's where we start to read. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. Let's hold it right there. Back up. So here's something that Paul knows. What you just did is illegal. I am a Roman citizen. I have not been tried. And this is illegal to try and beat a Roman citizen and throw a Roman citizen into prison. This is out of bounds, injustice, this is not fair. Do you ever hold up the not fair card? Okay. You ever hold up the not fair card with God? You said you're going to protect me. And now I am not feeling protected. This just happened. This is not right. This is not fair. And here's what we often do when we hold up the not fair card to God. You said you're going to protect me. You're not protecting me. I don't like what you just did, so I'm backing off. I'm going to stop going to care group. I'm not going to be a part of a small group. In fact, I'm not even listening to Christian radio. I'm going to go do the bad stuff. And I'm just nothing to do with you anymore. I'm just mad at you. Now, you're not hurting God at all, right? Do you understand that? It's like 
He is much bigger than that. You're hurting yourself a lot in that process where you're disengaging from God and blaming him with the not fair card. I want you to see by the end of this message that's really silly to blame God with a not fair card, all right? Because he sees so much more than we see in the big picture. Now, let's move on. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Stop right there. So imagine blacks, but blacks buddied, backs bloodied, <laughs> arms in stocks. You're tempted to hold the not fair card, God. This isn't right. I'm a Roman citizen. You shouldn't do this, and you're supposed to protect me, and why aren't you protecting me? Look at me. I'm not protected. I'm all a mess. That's where we're tempted to go. That's not where Paul and Silas go in the slightest, okay? And that's what I want us to see now. So let's keep reading. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Picture the scene. You're in stocks. You're bleeding. This was very painful. It was unfair. It's not right. This is religious persecution. You've done nothing wrong. And you are really in pain. This is not a normal response. But it should be for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Let's keep reading and see what happens. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. We keep reading. Or no. Yep, oh, we don't. I have an introduction. <laughs> I'm just going to put a quote up on the phrase, but before we do, let me just make sure you're with me now. They were worshiping God. Was it before the miracle or after the miracle? Before the miracle. Very important here. Okay, so now we'll put the quote on the screen. Here we go. Do you have a wait and see or a worship anyway? Paul did not have a wait and see before I worship attitude. Paul did not wait to worship after the miracle. Paul worshiped before the miracle came through. So everything has gone wrong. It seems like God hasn't protected. You're, you, you're not having the ability to read the next paragraph ahead of time that we just go right through the whole story. And you're, you're in the middle of the story. You don't know if you're going to die or live. And you're sitting there, and he does not hold the, what are you doing card? Explain to me why. Why aren't you protecting me? He, he doesn't do that. He worships Anyway, that's where I want us to go. Here's a harder place I want us to go. It's out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Now, this is a great verse. If you have never memorized a verse, I wouldn't, this would be a great one to memorize. Watch this now. Some language of ancient Jewish worship is employed here, but it's been shifted now for it to become language that is appropriate to us in our relationship with God as opposed to ancient Jewish relationship. And the language is sacrifice. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice. In the Jewish tradition, you would go to temple worship to worship God. In temple worship, you offer your animal sacrifice. I'm glad we're not in that system. It was the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that eliminated that whole system and eliminated that temple as the center of worship. Jesus says, I am the temple. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it. 
And he claimed to be the center of the new covenant, okay? So now we're taking Jewish language about sacrifice, and now we're not talking about bringing a sacrifice of an animal. We're talking about bringing sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. This is something I'm intentionally working on right now because like my dad, I have a tendency towards silence for no reason at all. Not even because it's my enemy, but I tend towards silence when I shouldn't be silent. Where my faith becomes more inward, my faith becomes more personal than it should be and more hidden than it should be. I tend towards silence. Here's how I'm working on it. And it's not even in front of people. I mean, I have this in front of people thing that I'm not silent. But then there's the private me. I'm in front of people too. And I'm trying to be consistent me. Public, private, me all the time. So here's how I'm working on it. I get up in the morning and I get in the car and I go for a run. It's a really short run. And I'm driving towards my short run, which is to a, a little knoll that I've been using as my spot to pray during the summer months. And <clears throat> as I get in, I start, because I know I'm going for prayer, but I start because I'm, I'm still silent. So I say, here I am, God, silent as usual. I'm opening my mouth on purpose to pray out loud because you are here with me. Wow, look at that sunrise you made. That is amazing. And the greenery lit up by the sun is just beautiful. It's life, life you bring to me. I'm trying to be intentional about being more open with my sacrifice of praise. Now, that's easy stuff. Sacrifice of praise means you open and praise even when you don't feel like it. I'm just describing to you, it seems like I never feel like it. Okay, that's one thing. I'm trying to make it so I'm training myself to feel like it more. But then you're going to hit the wall when you don't feel like it. You're scared, you're hurt, you're angry. And this is the time for the sacrifice of praise where you open your mouth and say the right things in worship anyway. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. And I don't think it was hard for them because they were good at it. They were practiced at it. I'm taking this silence thing to a whole different level that isn't between even me and God. I'm trying to do this thing and maybe I'm going to convict some of you too. It's like, I'm too silent about my gratitude, even with my wife. I just am too silent. So here's something I'm working on, just a little piece. Gina, thank you so much for doing my laundry again. Thank you. And you know what? How many years went by where it's just, that's her thing. She does the laundry. Like, no, I'm grateful. Thank you. I don't even know how to use our washer. Anyway, (laughs) that's not a good thing, but all right. Point number two. Point number two. Sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. Sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. Let me start with this question. It's a doozy. Would you rather hurt inside God's will or live in comfort outside of God's will? 
All right, so we're in God's will. God lets us down. It's a big pain we're going through. You don't really, I don't really feel close to you right now because, because you let this happen, and so we start to disengage. And so we go for comfort that isn't comfort from God. It's comfort from the world. We're disengaging from God, going for comfort here because I'd rather be in the comfort of not being in your will right now because this feels better than being hurt in your will. You ever been there? Personally, I know better. I know that it's better to be in pain and in God's will than be out of pain and out of God's will. Okay? Really big topic. Now here's something that we're going to put pieces together. Yes, God protected my dad. Yes, God protected my mother until he didn't. They're with him in heaven. Both of them died of cancer. Right? God protected them until he didn't. Yes, Paul was protected and the chains were released in this imprisonment and it was great and there's more story there that's really incredible but that's only a piece of the story. You know that he was in prison so many times? He was in prison five to six years of his life. All of it for religious persecution and the last imprisonment God protected him until he didn't. It was in the persecution under Nero and he was beheaded. Okay? We need to make sure we understand that part. And yet, Paul would never say God lifted his hand of protection. He would never view it that way. None of the apostles would. Every single apostle was martyred in horrible deaths with the exception of one, and that was the apostle John. And frankly, I would have rather been everybody else because the apostle John, according to legend, was thrown into boiling oil and survived. Then he was set off into the island of Patmos where we, he has a chance to write the book of Revelation. Okay? Every other apostle was martyred for what they believed, but none of them felt like God had lifted his hand of protection. Instead, here's what Paul says, and now I want you to stand with me because we're going to start to read a passage of scripture together. It's in Romans chapter eight, and we're gonna read nothing but scripture, but I want you, by your heart's attitude, to read it with me out loud, and only you can do this. I can't make you do this, where you read it, and you start to open your heart to it, and you start to say, as you read it, this isn't just a truth I'm reading. This is a faith declaration I want to speak and live into, okay? And it starts like this. I'm going to read it first by myself, then we're going to read it together. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So he takes these things that feel like they're not protection, and he can work out his story as your life unfolds. He's writing your story, and he has a good story that is an eternal story that he's putting together in your life as his plan, okay? So we're going to read this one again, but we're going to keep reading together as I've excerpted the rest of this chapter starting at this verse 28, and we'll read it. It's kind of like a prayer, but it's scriptural statements. Join me. Ready? Out loud. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I don't know what problems you're facing. God has a plan. I don't know what problem feels too heavy, but God already knows and he has a plan. And he's writing your story. And it's an eternal story. It's time to be more than a conqueror. And he just, with the rest of the apostles, they all assume it's death. But who do you have? Why do you have to be afraid of death? Jesus conquered death. We are more than conquerors. We're going to live forever and tell the stories of his grace forever. So you may be still carrying stuff, and it's heavy, and it hurts to hear a message like this, and the last thing you want to do is worship. Maybe the best thing you need to do is ask for somebody to pray for you. We've got a prayer team to the right. Maybe they can help carry your load. Maybe you just have a simple request. It's not that big a deal, but you want prayer for it. I invite you to it. Maybe you've heard enough to where you go, you know what? I want this thing that's eternal because this thing I have right now, my story, it's dark. It's a mess. I need light. I need Jesus. I need a savior. They'll help you with that too. I will help you with that. Whatever you need, turn to Jesus. I want to see you next week here because we're going to look at when I need a miracle of provision. All right, see you next week.